Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. You ever been to like a carnival and you walk into the house of mirrors, that's what it's called, the hall of mirrors or something? You remember that? When you're a kid and you like look in the thing and you'd be all this way or this way or squished down. We see ourselves in distorted ways when we go in there. You ever see those apps now that you can change your face and all this different kind of thing? That's fun to do unless it becomes too much of a reality that we see ourselves distorted and differently than how God sees us. You know, sin is what distorts who we are. Maybe you had an upbringing where people spoke of you unkindly and called you different things, and you started believing those things about yourselves. And especially when you're young and you hear that, you start to believe those things because our minds are like sponges. And when someone calls you a name or different things like this, you might believe that that's who you are. But today I'm telling you that's not who you are, or God going to tell you. And the social media, you know, the internet and all this stuff, the self-talk, it all is public, right? (laughs) So people read about what they say about you, and it becomes argument over the internet, and it can begin to alter the mind of a person. The Center for Research.org writes, Facebook can make kids feel inadequate due to the in-your-face friend tallies status updates, and pictures of others having a good time. For well-adjusted kids, social media can have the opposite effect, boosting their already positive feelings about themselves. But it doesn't help someone who's already struggling with this kind of thinking, negative thinking. So should I believe everything that I hear about myself? No. Should I believe what God says about me? Yes. Because the truth will set us free. So here's the thing about this series, you know, the truth heals, set free from the problems of life. Every week I'm delivering the truth of God's word. Now, I can't force you to believe it and I can't force you to act on it. But I hope that you do. And I hope that you share it with other people in your sphere of influence. Because if there's ever, especially today, a topic about image and identity that needs to be shared as of what God thinks, it's this topic, all right? Now, is it true that we're all created in the image of God? Yes, how do we know that? Because the Bible says that, right? Therefore, are we all valuable in God's eyes? Yes. So what happened? Sin happened. Sin distorts the image. Sin mars the image of God. It's like constantly living in the house of mirrors where you see distorted images of yourself. And so the truth heals image problems. You won't know your true identity until you know in whose image you were made. Okay, so let's look at the truth is that everyone is made in God's image. Everyone is. We look in Genesis, which is the beginning of the Bible. And in the first chapter, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, what is included in God's image? Well, one of the things right there is pretty obvious. Male and female. Gender 
is part of God's image. What else is included in God's image? Here's the important thing. Only human beings, according to the Bible, are made in God's image. It doesn't say angels are made in God's image. It doesn't say animals are made in God's image. So what does God's image include? It includes authority. An image would not also be a picture, but it would be a representative of the person in whose image you were made. So you were made in God's image, who has ultimate authority, and then he gave authority to man and said, watch over my creation and subdue evil. So that's part of what we're supposed to do. His image includes purpose. What's our purpose? Is to serve him. As Adam served God in the garden and took care of God's garden, we are to take care of God's creation. His image includes the ability to feel, think, love. These are all what are called communicable attributes of God. He's given us these attributes that are part of himself. If he didn't love us, we wouldn't know how to love. He's put in our hearts love and feelings and emotions, all the same feelings that God has. When someone sees himself as he truly is, he will behave as he truly is. That's your identity. But here's the important thing. No one finds their identity. There's this whole thing about, have you found out your identity? What is your identity? It's not possible to find your identity. It's only possible to receive your identity in Christ. So until someone receives Christ, that person is not living in the complete and fulfilled image of Christ because they're still living in the image of sin. It doesn't mean they lost their God identity. It's just totally distorted. And then when we come to Christ, it's fulfilled and completed. Secondly, God's image in man has been marred because of sin. Satan committed identity theft. And we're going to look at that. But God's image is distorted, not because he's distorted, but we as sinners have been marred and distorted by sin. So if someone looks at the world today, they're not seeing the pure image of God and his created beings. They see glimpses of it. You can see glimpses of God's love. You can see glimpses of God's compassion through people. But you only see the full image of God through Christ. So we're all fallen creatures. We're part of what's called the fall in Genesis 3. And Paul writes about this in Romans where he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that one man? Adam, by the way, Adam Adam means man. And so death spread to all men because all sin. So there's no one who's disconnected from Adam in sin, unless they be reconnected to God through Christ in his holiness. So we're either in Adam or in Christ. Raise your hand if you're in Christ. That means that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit has come into your life. Now you're in Christ, and he's in you. You're not longer in Adam, which is a good thing, because those who are in Adam will die in their sin. Genesis 5.3. Now, something happened here. Remember, Genesis 1, God creates. Genesis 2, he gives Adam a wife named Eve. Then in Genesis 3, there's the fall where they rebelled against God. And then they get kicked out of the garden. And it says, when Adam had lived 
130 years, he fathered a son in his own image. That's important, in his own likeness. Now, it doesn't disconnect Adam and everyone related to Adam. And it doesn't disconnect Adam from being made in God's image. But what it does now, it connects us through Adam in Adam's likeness, still retaining God's likeness, but it's marred by Adam. After his image and named his son Seth, and all the people afterwards, our image has been distorted by sin. Humankind has tried to find God's image in other things. Paul writes about it in Romans that we try to find it in created things. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals. So that's idolatry. We all try to find our image in different things, right? And what people think of us and what we think of ourselves. And anything that we place above God and His Word is an idol. Those things should not dictate who we are. We should believe what God says we are. The reality of good versus evil is what also obscures our image. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, read this verse with me. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That is a verse that you should memorize because it helps you understand what's going on in the world today. Who's the God of this age? Small g, right? Satan. He's blinded the mind of unbelievers so they can't see the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But once those blinders are lifted by God, the Holy Spirit, who draws us to himself and opens our eyes, then we no longer should say, oh, I'm that old person that was dead in sin. No, it says, but God, by his love and grace, has saved us from death and sin. We have to believe now that we are fully restored, even though we still have our old self attached. We are fully restored, and we will be fully restored, completed in Christ upon the resurrection of the believer when we go to be with him. Three, God's image is fully restored in Christ. So if you're in Christ, as many of you raise your hand, if you're in Christ, you are no longer in Adam, therefore the image of God is fully restored in you through Christ. Did you ever hear the terms the first Adam and the second Adam or the last Adam? You ever heard that? The first Adam is Adam who was in the garden, the, the first man. He was given a responsibility and he was given authority He was made in God's image, but he decided to do his own thing. So he rejected God as his authority. And so sin came through him into the world. But if you're in Christ, you're not that old person anymore. He used to be an Adam. You're a new person. Hebrews 1.3 says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he, Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's incredible. Jesus Christ, the one who lives inside of you by his spirit, created all things and holds all things together. And he is the exact image of God. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now that word is confusing. Some people say, oh, so he's a created being. There's been heretics throughout the history of the church that have taught this. 
But when you look at the word, the word in Greek is protokos, which is we get the word prototype. So it has nothing to do with created being. It has to do with order of things. He's the first, the prototype of the new creation. When he rose from the dead, he's glorified. He's become who we will become because we are in him, the same thing. When someone turns from sin and receives Christ, that person is transformed and conformed to the God's image. It says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So raise your hand again if you're in Christ. You are conformed and being conformed into the image of God. You are the image of God and you're fully restored in Christ and renewed. You're a new creation, the Bible says. And so we have now been totally restored and completed in Christ. But yet we're also being restored in the image of his son as we're being transformed while on this earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, read the rest with me, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's the heavenly man? Christ. This only happens through the process of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. You ever heard the term born again? can mean born from above. Only someone who's born from above by the Spirit of God has this process of regeneration that happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17, read it with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So don't believe the lie that because you said you raise your hand, you're in Christ. Don't believe the lie that you're still that old person. You're not. You're a new person. Now, you may act like the old person because you keep trying on those clothes. That's a whole other thing. But you are new in Christ. You have received a new spirit. Whose spirit do we receive? God's spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is the same Spirit. And so we're new that way. And then one day, this fallen body that dies will be renewed and resurrected just as Christ's was. Now, if someone's not born from above by not receiving Christ, by placing their faith in Him and receiving Him into their life, that person remains in the distorted state and they'll continue to try and find their image rather than receive their image. And we see that all over the world. I think that's one of the biggest problems in today's society. People trying to find out who they are and not receiving who they are by believing in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, that's a reference to Moses, because remember Moses was on the mountain. He was in the presence of God, and he had to wear a veil because God's presence was emanating from him. But we don't have to do that. We are in the presence of God all the time, beholding the glory of the Lord. That word behold can mean reflecting the glory of God as a mirror does. That's what we do. Do you know that? You and I, we reflect God's glory because Christ lives in us. We're being transformed from the inside out into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what Paul's saying is, yes, we are a new creation, but we're also being transformed into that new creation step by step. As God works inside of us, it's one day going to be seen outside as we are glorified in the resurrection. For this comes from 
who? The Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, sadly, even believers are still trying to find their image and identity. They don't understand the reality of what happened to them once they came to faith in Christ. Therefore, they don't experience the fullness of God's love and transforming power, and they choose to stay in the hall of mirrors. So we're going to find ourselves in the story. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. You can open your Bible there. And we're going to, first of all, go through an essay on how to lose your identity. Then we'll talk about an essay on how to, to receive your identity. Number one, how to lose your identity, fall for a lie. Now, I'm telling you this because I'm hoping that this will not only wake you up into who you are, but it'll wake you up in the people in your sphere of influence because we're small here today, but your sphere of influence is way bigger. And when you're having conversations with people and you hear them talk about things, you should know the truth that when someone doesn't know who they are, they have fallen for a lie, just like Eve. The devil is the father of lies. And every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie. He's also a murderer. And he wants to not only commit identity theft, he wants to murder your identity. We're going to start Genesis 3, verse 1. This is after everything's good. God's made a place suitable for man and for woman. And it's perfect. And God is walking with them in the garden. And then it comes and says, now the serpent. Chapter 3, right? Who's a serpent? How do we know that? Here's how you know that. First of all, if you have a Bible, it'll most likely, if you have any type of concordance next to that verse, it should have other verses. You ever notice that? Those are corresponding verses. Does anyone looking in their Bible see Revelation 12.9 as one of the corresponding verses? So what does Revelation 12.9 say? Let's look at it. Now, this is the end of the Bible, and this is a time to come. And the great dragon was thrown down the what? Serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. And that word Satan means adversary. What does he do? He deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. So that's where we find him in the garden. And his angels were thrown down with him. The ones that followed him, the demons. So here's the thing. You have to understand there is a battle, good versus evil. That's an ongoing thing. It's a reality. Okay, and the devil is in charge of evil. And he hates you. And he hates me. He hates every person. And he wants to take as many people with him to hell. How does he do that? He deceives us. Satan is actively deceiving people to believe lies over truth. Do we live in a culture today that that is the whole impetus behind most of what's said on anything anymore? It's a lie. That's why we need to preach the truth. So the serpent was more crafty or cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. That's important. Is Satan God? No, he's a small G God because he has his own little kingdom going on that's going to be thrown into hell one day, thank God. But he's a created being. He was created before the garden and he rebelled against God while in heaven and he took a third of the angels with him. That's in the Bible. And they came to earth and they've been trying to deceive God's creation ever since. But he's not God. He's a created being. He was a created angel. And he said, so the serpent spoke 
it was who is behind the serpent as a whole other discussion, which we know Satan is behind the serpent, but audibly spoke to the woman. What does he say? Indeed, has God said, or did God really say, did God really say, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Is that a true or false statement? How do we know? What's false about it? Any. Very important word that he throws in there. Now, unless you know God's word, you're going to fall for the lies. God didn't say that. In fact, Genesis 2.16, turn there. Whoever finds that first, just read it out loud. You can eat from any tree. Satan's saying, did God say you can't eat from any tree? You see the difference? Satan is the most cunning and crafty creature ever created, and he wants to deceive you with a lie. All right? Secondly, how to lose your identity? Forget God's word. Just forget it. Don't implement it. Just believe the lies. So we have here the importance of being in God's word, and not just one day a week, because Eve was with God constantly. And we will fall for the lies if we're not in God's word. I can't tell you enough. Don't attempt to go out into the world in the realm of the deceiver without being fully equipped that day. That means praying, and it means spending some time in the word of God. So we see here Genesis 3, starting in verse 2, Now the woman speaks to the serpent, which, by the way, if I saw this thing speaking, I'd probably go get my husband. And where the heck is Adam? The woman said to the serpent, Now, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may not eat. Is that the exact word of God? Did God ever say in Genesis 2.16 anything about fruit? That's important. She goes on. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. Now, did God say anything about being in the middle of the garden? So what's going on here? Eve is looking at that tree every single day. She knows where it is. She knows there's fruit. So she's already open to temptation. The Bible says flee from temptation, but she was looking at it the whole time. And then God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Now, did God say anything about touching it? Let's read verse 17. Someone who has it, just read Genesis 2, 17. Okay, so does God say anything about touching it? So she's already adding on to what God said, which is called legalism, which is going to lead you into sin. This is not coincidence that's going on here. Satan, it sounds like he's speaking God's word, but it's totally twisted and distorted. And unless you know God's word, you're going to believe the lie. You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. That sounds like an imminent death. Like the moment you eat that, you'll die. But what did God say? He added a word before die. Surely die. That means eventually you will die. Because when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they didn't fall dead there. But surely they died. Satan loves this now because this woman is falling into temptation and is about to sin. And now comes the greatest of all lies. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely 
Now he adds it in. Now what does that mean? That means he heard it and he listens and he uses God's word against her. He says, you surely will not die, Eve. Satan adds back the word that she left out, but turns it around. Here's some questions that come into my mind about this. First of all, how long had Satan been in the garden? We don't know exactly, but he's there, right? So he's in the garden for a while at least. Secondly, who did Satan choose to speak to, Eve or Adam? I just want to say this, because of what we can get from the text, we don't know exactly for sure, but I'm sure she's been looking at the trees, and Satan is like a lion looking for someone to devour, and he usually always wants to go for the most susceptible prey. The third thing I ask myself, where the heck is Adam? And why didn't he kill the snake a long time ago? I mean, if you ever snake in your garden, you're not going to just leave it out there. You're going to kill that thing, Right? Adam's out to lunch. I mean, he's the one that's supposed to guard God's house. You know, when the man fails to guard his house, the family will surely die. That's so important, man. And that's not a condemnation because God doesn't speak condemnation. But if it's convicting, then I want you to know that God is talking to you and he's talking to me. Am I guarding my house with prayer? Am I praying for my kids? Am I praying for my family? Am I praying for my wife? Because Adam's out to lunch, obviously. Now, this lie, you surely will not die, is a potent one. First of all, because it's not true. They would die. Secondly, it reeks of deception. It's basically saying, Eve, don't trust God. Third, it leads to someone drinking the poison, which leads to the identity theft and death. And then verse 5, Satan says to Eve, You surely will not die, for God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and here's the zinger, and you will be like God. Eve, you don't need God to be over you. He's a killjoy. Just be set free. Follow me. Don't trust God. You could be like God from the horse's mouth. That's why he lost his place in heaven. Satan said, oh, I can be like God. And he wants a lot of other people to believe the same lie, knowing good and evil. He's saying, be independent. Be your own person. You don't need someone over you who's going to be your sovereign king. Be your own king. Make your own decisions about you and your body and everything else. It's your identity anyway, right? It's a lie. Can you blame Eve? I mean, she's totally deceived. She's like, oh, I can be like God. What's wrong with that? I want to know the difference between good and evil. Sounds innocent enough. But forgetting God's word is what leads to this entire chain of reaction and regret. Next, how to lose your identity and forego God's best. Just settle for good. A lot of people just go, oh, settle for good. No, don't settle for good. Strive for God's best. When God said, thou shall have no other gods above me, which is the first commandment, why did he say that? Did he say that, that he just wanted to like take away your fun and your enjoyment in life? No, he said, because if you do that, you're going to be sorry and you're going to have regret because nobody can take my place. God is the only person that can fill that emptiness in your life. 
So that's the entire objective behind Satan's lie is to make you doubt God's goodness and sufficiency. That's his whole plan of attack. And I always say that the root of all sin is unbelief. If he can get you to unbelieve what he says, you're right there susceptible to being devoured by the lion in sin. Now that Satan has accomplished his doubt in Eve's mind, he comes in for the kill. When the woman saw, that's lust, and she'd already seen the tree, she knew exactly where it was in the middle of the garden, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise or to be like God, she took from its tree and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Where the heck? Would he just show up now? Like, oh, yeah, it's time for supper, you know. She took what was not hers. Did you notice that? She took from it. That's what happens when we break the covenant with God, and we break a covenant in our relationship, and we take what's not ours. Now, here's the thing. This is important. Eve was deceived. We read in 1 Timothy 2.14, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now, does that mean that Eve was worse than Adam? Actually, it's the opposite. Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. So this brings more culpability to Adam. That's why it's in Adam that we are sinners. He ain't knowingly. Adam disobeyed God and rejected his responsibility as head of his family. But also what's important we see here is that Eve surpassed her role in the family, in the marriage. She took the leadership role and ate first. F.F. Bruce writes, It was when Eve acted in independence and took the initiative, refusing to remain but a helpmate for Adam, that sin entered. And that word, if you look at Genesis 2.18, let me read that. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That means a corresponding, an opposite for him because he wasn't complete until Eve, until he got married. We say, oh, well, that word helper here, though. Helper, that's like, I don't want to just be a helper. But let me tell you something. Jesus, when he was talking about the Holy Spirit, said, he will be your helper. So it's not a demeaning thing. It's a role. Eve acted beyond her role. Because here's the thing. There's so much about identity that's distorted by Satan. It's not just a personal thing. Identity is also within relationships with each other. When we're not acting in our true image and the identity that God has for us, there's chaos. Chaos. God is a God of order. When we reject his plan, there's disorder. How to lose your identity? Feel ashamed. That's the next thing that happened. Think about it. Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God. They never felt ashamed. They knew where God was. They were walking with him. They talked with him. They didn't even realize they were naked because nakedness was the norm. It was not until they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they became ashamed. Shame is the barrier that keeps us from being who we really are because we believe a lie about ourselves and we feel shame. Now think about all the things that you have done in your life because you didn't know who you were. Think about the hurt and the pain and the regret that you could have avoided if you acted in faith rather than in shame. 
So let's look at Genesis 3, 7 through 11. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made them themselves. So now they're doing their own work. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from God. That's the saddest of all things. But here's the awesome thing. God still doesn't give up. He still speaks to them. And the Lord God called to the man. That's God's grace because he loves them. And said to him, where are you? Now he knows where he is. He's waiting for Adam to fess up. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. That had never happened before this time. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Of course. That's the whole bottom line issue. Not believe God and believe the lie and act on the lie. Instead of the truth. This whole thing marred everything. All creation fell at that point. And they were afraid of God, which is a lot of people are afraid. There's a good fear of God, but then there's a bad fear, like afraid of God. When someone acts out of shame, they're acting out of unbelief and fear of God rather than belief and trust in God. Now, there's a progression in these verses. Number one, they felt guilt and shame. Verse 7. Second, they tried to change these conditions by their own efforts. They made coverings. Third, they fled from God's presence out of fear of Him. That's verse 8 and 10. And then the next one we're going to talk to in a minute. They tried to blame their sin on another rather than confess personal responsibility. So how do you lose your identity? Finger point. Okay, that's what happens. The next thing that happens is they begin to blame others for their problem. That's called victimhood. Many people live in victimville. If you don't know that God made you and that your image is in him and you receive it through faith in Christ, you will always be a victim. You'll start thinking, God messed up. He made me wrong. And and Paul says, why does the clay say to the potter, you made me wrong? It doesn't make sense. So you can see how this whole identity thing is a distorted view of God and of self. Now, finger pointing gets you nowhere. Well, watch this, verse 11. God asks, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you? The right answer would be, yes, Lord, I messed up. I'm sorry. But this is the wrong answer. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. Wow, where have I heard that before? What happened to thank you, Lord, for this beautiful wife you gave me? Eve, I I was so alone. And you fill that emptiness with giving me this help me. What happened to that? Turn to, it's your fault, God, you gave her to me. But the finger pointing doesn't get there. The Lord God says to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. The devil made me do it, right? Those who are secure in Christ, they don't blame others. They are honest in their confession of their guilt because they know who they are in Christ. Next, how to lose your identity, forfeit grace. And this is the worst thing anyone can do. God brings forth a a whole series of circumstances and consequences. We're not going to get into all of them. You can read about them in verses 14 through 24, but they all have to do specifically with their each individual sin. But the greatest sin here is pride. Pride keeps you from grace because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now notice the responses. They don't say like, we're sorry. There's no repentance. 
There's no admittance of guilt. They'd eaten from the first tree, which is the tree of good knowledge. What was now to stop them from eating of the other tree, which is the tree of life? And think about that. If they ate from the tree of life after sinning against God and now being infected with sin, that means that they would have eaten from the tree of life and lived forever in sin. And thank God he kicked them out of there because we would never have a chance. So that's how to lose your identity. An essay on how to restore your identity is one thing. Come home to Christ. Come home to Christ. You don't have to try and find your identity any longer. You can receive it by coming home to Christ. Okay, so we jump all the way to the end of the Bible. In Revelation 21.5, it says, And the one who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did on the cross when he died for our sin. We don't have to be in, in Adam anymore. We can be in Christ by placing our faith in him, the one who took upon him our sin and rose from the dead. Guess what else you find in the new heaven? You know what's there? Look it up. The tree of life. We get to come back home to Eden. And the Bible says we will eat from the tree of life. Revelation 22.4 says, They will see his face. We will see the face of God. And our name will be on his forehead. That's how much you mean to him. He's not only living inside of you and you have become complete in your identity and image again in Christ He has your name on the outside of him. You are restored. You are redeemed. You are renewed. But the question is, do you believe? Do you believe? I heard this song and blew my mind. So I asked Sierra to come up and sing this song. And I want to end with this. Listen to the words and make a choice. You're either going to believe the lie and believe God. And if you believe God you're going to experience the true freedom that Jesus says you can have. Thank you. 
the Lord was doing in your life, but uh, I would encourage you to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that your Spirit is here. Thank you, Jesus. You, you are here and you are speaking to us, the ones you created in your image, the one who you have recreated in the image of Christ. And we have our true identity, and I pray we would not hold this truth to ourselves, because if there's ever a time that someone needs to hear this truth, is today. So, Lord, I'm grateful that you have opened my eyes and the eyes of the people in this room, but I'm also praying that you would open the eyes of the people in our sphere of influence, that they would come to know the truth, that they are forgiven and they can come home to Christ. And if there's anyone in here today that wants to do that, they can do that and just open their heart in humility, and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you, and I ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amen.